Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott Martz. Visit us online at living-faith.church or in person every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And now be encouraged by this week's message. Now is the time to take out the Living Faith Notes. As you're doing so, I want to welcome those who are listening via podcast or are listening or watching online at living-faith.church or are listening on the radio, KBEC, AM 1390 or FM 99.1. So we're moving along pretty quickly now through our study of 1 Peter called Live New. Pastor Crewall brought you into chapter 4, verse 6. A lot of text there, a lot of things, but the overall emphasis was baptism and baptism saves, not the removal of dirt from the body, but God promising us that we're saved in Christ Jesus. We're connected to Jesus in baptism, the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Well, we, we pick up where we left off in verse, uh, verse 7 uh, this morning, verses 7 through 19. Listen now to the word of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to to do good. I want you to imagine that God speaks to you this week directly and reveals to you that this is your final week in this fallen world. That that the week from now, you'll be in his full presence in heaven enjoying that immensely. How would that knowledge, that foreknowledge, change your living right now? What things would you change? 
What things would you continue? What things would you drop? What things would you, would you focus on more? You know, it's interesting as we, we live our lives to this point, if you're like me, you just assume there's going to be a tomorrow, right? Because every day of our life, there, there's been a tomorrow. And, and sometimes we, we, we cushion ourselves and, and we rely too much on tomorrow, like, well, I'll do that tomorrow. You know, this can wait. But what if, again, imagining, what if God said that actually, not a week from today, but today is your last day. What if there is no tomorrow for you as far as this life is concerned? Now, I need to qualify that. In Christ Jesus, we have a very bright future. Our best days for every one of us in this room are ahead of us for eternity, right? So on, on glory side of things, we look forward to every tomorrow and eternal life in the presence of God. But this life, there's no guarantee of that. There's no guarantee that there'll be a tomorrow in this life for you. Your earthly life could come to an end tomorrow or a week from today. Now, what if God said to you, not just that your end was approaching, but the end of all things is approaching? How would that change your outlook of life? Well, brothers and sisters, we don't have to imagine that. Because that's precisely what the Holy Spirit says through Peter this morning. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. All things in this fallen world. As God sees it, it is near. Now you might say, well, don't we need to fact check Peter a little bit? Uh, Pastor Scott has been over 2,000 years. Uh, did Peter really mean it, that Christ, end of all things, is near? And the answer is yes. God's the eternal God. God has a timetable. And if you look at Scripture, through the prophet Amos, God gave us the prophecy of Pentecost, that, that beautiful day when the Holy Spirit entered those disciples and they were able to speak a language they had not learned and share the gospel. God, through Amos, predicted that some 400 years before it happened. And if you look at the prophet Amos, the, the next thing, the next verse, the next thing on God's agenda is Christ's return, Judgment Day. God's way of looking at it, we are in, we are in the end times, even though it's, we've been in it for 2,000 years. Uh, the end of all things is near. Now, on the one hand, we should live our lives as Christians and, and we should make plans for the future as a congregation make plans, submit them to the Lord as if there could be an endless amount of tomorrows. On the other hand, we are to live our lives every day as if there is no tomorrow. Now Peter talks about this in our text this morning and there are four things that, that the Holy Spirit through Peter is focusing us to do that we should concentrate on. And I'm just gonna give them to you and then we'll, we'll, we'll back up. Pray frequently, as if there's no tomorrow. Love deeply, verses 8 and 9, as if there's no tomorrow. Serve faithfully, as if there's no tomorrow. And finally, suffer graciously, as if there's no tomorrow. We'll take the first one. Pray frequently. Verse 7 again. The end of all things is near. 
therefore, what's a therefore? Again, the, uh, there, there may be no tomorrow. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Prayer is important. Prayer is a privilege for every believer. Not just anyone can pray, but God has given us as his children the ability to approach him in prayer, to approach his throne of grace at any moment. The Bible says pray continually. And again, living as if there is no tomorrow, pray frequently. So my question to you is, how is your prayer life today? I did a little bit of research this week, came across a, a Barna report, and Barna does research and a lot of data, and it was, it was quite interesting. Um, it says that 79% uh, of Americans have prayed at least once in the past three months. I'm like, what? 79% of the last three months, it might sound good, oh, that's great, but is it really that frequent? Depends on what study you look at. I, I came across another one that said that the average American Christian prays only 42 seconds a day, like for a table prayer, and, th and that's it. Um, the other reports that, that show that, no, it's more frequent than that. But, but, but how is your prayer life? Is it, is it something that knowing, living as if there was no tomorrow, that, that you take time, you take advantage, again, of this gift of prayer between you and the Lord? Jesus said in his word, that set apart time, go to your closet, pray to your Heavenly Father, and that He will bless you. Um, how is your prayer life? Now, I'm not saying this to, you know, to say, um, yeah, my prayer life's not very good. When, when we look at that and, and, and praying, and I've said this before from this pulpit, that my prayer life, even as a pastor, suffered for years. I wasn't very good at prayer. I just openly admit that. Uh, four years ago, what God used was illness, pain, chronic pain for over a year. But I'm telling you, one of the blessings was I learned how to pray and, and pray deeply. Now, it's still a struggle for me. I will say that, that um, if you talk to those closest to me, if you were to talk to my wife, Heidi, one of my weaknesses is I, sometimes I don't communicate very well. You know, just, just communicate. And sometimes that has interfered with my, my relationship with God, where I have not communicated. I can live my life kind of close-knit, comfortable, happy as a lark, and not communicate very much. That's not what it's like to, to live as if there's no tomorrow. Um, Peter says, so that you may pray that we are to be alert and of sober mind so that we can pray. Be alert, watchful. It's being aware of what's happening. What keeps us from being alert? Well, things that distract us, right? There are many things in this world that can uh, distract us. Preoccupations, perhaps it's worry. By the way, the antidote for worry is prayer. But if you're worrying and you just can't sleep at night, or, or maybe it's living for the flesh, and, and Pastor Crewell talked about that last week. We have a sinful nature, and our sinful nature is prone to living for the flesh. And if we're wrapped up in living for the flesh and, in, in a sense, living for sin, we're preoccupied, we're not alert, and our, our prayer life is suffering. Peter says, be of sober mind. 
And, and he's repeating himself. We had this in, in chapter one, be of sober mind, meaning that we can be thinking under the influence of things and not be sober-minded. Normally think of sobriety with alcohol, but you can have uh, not be sober in your thinking. Perhaps you're, you're preoccupied. Perhaps you're under the influence of pain and you just can't get around it. So that's your focus. Maybe it's guilt over something you did wrong and you haven't resolved it. Maybe it's anger. You're angry with somebody. They, they did something against you and anger in your heart is consuming you. You're preoccupied with it. You're not of sober mind. You're under the influence of anger. Maybe it's heartache. Somebody's hurt you. Maybe it's greed. The Bible warns about that, that if your motive for living every day is, is money, 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 the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Maybe it's fear. Fear of the future. Uncertainty. Maybe, maybe it's loneliness that you're living under the influence of or past mistakes. Now, by the way, Peter says, be sober-minded, be alert. If you study the life of Peter, we know that he fell flat on his face in his time with Jesus. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus told Peter, James, and John, come with me. I need your prayer support. Pray with me. And, and Jesus, our Lord, is praying. It's his final evening. There is no tomorrow for him, in a sense. He's going to die the next day. And he, he says, I want your prayer support. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what did Peter and the other two do? They didn't pray, right? They weren't alert. They weren't sober thinking. Um, they, they fell asleep. But Peter has grown in his faith. And, and Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert of sober mind so that you may pray. So pray fervently. Secondly, love deeply. Verses 8 and 9. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Above all, so Peter's saying, above all, what, what should our focus be? Love. Love how? Deeply. Love is meant to be, by our Lord, the hallmark of Christianity. Jesus himself said it. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is agape love for those familiar with the Greek words of love. This is the highest type of love. This is not a feeling love. It's a love of action. It's a love of decision. It's I will love these people even though they may not love me back. It is unconditional. Love for the sake of love. It is sacrificial. It's, it's the love that, that, that Jesus had for us. Now, we love because he first loved us. We couldn't love each other if it weren't for Jesus' love first. It's the love that, that God the Father had in sending Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Live as if there's no tomorrow. Love deeply. Now, that word uh, that's translated deeply, it's an interesting Greek word. The Greek word is ektenos, ektenos, and it literally means stretched out. And that word was used of horses who are galloping at full speed. They're, they're stretched out. Just picture the, the, the Kentucky Derby and, and horses that are, are stretched out. They're, they're running. It's strenuously running, right? That's the word. And, and the Holy Spirit through Peter says, above all, love each other deeply. Love each other strenuously. Uh, it, again, it, it is to be a, a mark of Christianity. 
Now, loving deeply is more than a superficial surface love. It's more than simply a polite love. It's something that the early church used quite effectively. The first 300 years of Christianity, there were 10 major persecutions led by emperors in Rome trying to extinguish Christianity. They put hundreds of thousands to death. If you were a professing Christian, right now we would be breaking the law, punishment, death, simply worshiping Jesus. And, and yet, and Christians were persecuted, they lost their jobs, but yet it grew. What was the attraction to Christianity? Now, we know the answer. Faith in Christ. Christ is everything. He is our Lord. He's the creator. He died for us to take away our sins. He's giving us an everlasting life, a very bright future. He's with us, present, all those things. But from an unbeliever's perspective, why would you be attracted to Christians? What, what do they have? If you study the early church, what the Romans picked up on, they wrote it, what they picked up on is that these group of people that we are persecuting, they continue to love people. They love us. Love was a hallmark of the early church. It still is today among unbelieving uh, nations. Last night, my wife and I were, were watching an evangelist. His name is Ravi Zacharias. He's not well. He's not part of our church body. But he's an interesting man. He's in his 70s. Uh, he grew up in India. Um, he was not a Christian. He was going to commit suicide. And a Christian witnessed to him and said, don't kill yourself, and, and shared Christ with him. And he came to believe in Jesus. And he has such a brilliant mind. He's, he's, God's gifted him. Um, he, he loves the Lord. And he, he has gone into countries that are non-Christian. Uh, he was in Japan six months ago. And, and Ravi Zacharias, he's gone to Islamic countries where, where Christianity, again, is, is nothing. Yet there are people that leave Islam, become Christian, and, and he says that, what's the attraction? Why would anyone in an Islamic country want to become a Christian? And what they're finding is that those that do, they realize that Christians have something they don't have. And what they have is genuine love. Love, the love that, that God has for them, and that is, is being shown to others. So we have to ask ourselves, uh, do we, are, are we loving deeply or is that something we're putting off for tomorrow? Do we have a surface love, but shallow at best? Uh, we do need to examine that. Jesus told the Ephesian congregation that they lost their first love, and that's a dangerous thing. Lose your first love for the Lord and, and for the lost and, and for people. You don't have much of a future in Christianity. Jesus said, repent of that lack of love, or you may not exist much longer as a congregation. So again, we have to examine, um, are, are, we, are we loving deeply? Now, now, Peter goes on to describe two types of this love, verse, the second part of verse 8. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. True love covers over a multitude of sins. So what is this sin-covering love? What does that mean? True love covers over a multitude of sins. Th does that mean that we are love each other and just, just turn our back on 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 sin. Some may interpret it that way. That simply cannot be. Galatians 5 verse 1 says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, um, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be, be tempted. 
So someone caught in a sin, it's not that I love you and, and, and true love covers over sin, so I just ignore it. No, you restore them. Do it gently. Uh, be careful as you do so. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. That's, that's love that covers sin. It's not that you ignore the sin, but you let love cover it. You, you approach them one-on-one, -on -one, privately. They listen to you. You've won them over. Uh, true love covers a multitude of sins. Think of it this way. If somebody sins against you, you basically have one of three options. So they do something against you. It's hurt you. You can ignore it. And by the way, ignoring sin in the long run doesn't help that person. It doesn't help you. You're just going to stew about it. Secondly, you can address it privately. Let love cover that sin, but address it and then forgive, which is very powerful. Or three, you can expose it. You can uncover their sin for the world to see like a whistleblower. Of the three ways of dealing with that, which one is God-pleasing? The second one, right? Love covering sin, addressing it. The third option is not love. And we are not spiritual cops meant to uncover and expose to the world and post it on you know, social media how, how you know, no. True love is a love, uh, is, is a love that covers sin and deals with it privately. Now, Peter goes on in verse, uh, verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this is tied into love. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the reason I say that is that the word that's translated hospitality, there, there is a root in that word which is phileo, which means brotherly love. It's in the word. Hospitality, we get the English word hospital. Why do people go to a hospital? Because they need to recover, right? They need to recover from an illness. And, and that's part of our function as a, as a church. In the early church, Peter's writing these, these Christians, they, it was a house church. They would go to one house one week, to another house the next week, and Peter's saying, hey, be hospitable without grumbling. Welcome people into your, your house. You're there to worship Christ. There might be new people coming that you never met before, but welcome them. It's a recovery type of, of love. It's interesting, without grumbling, the Greek word for grumbling, um, it is uh, gagagismus. We kind of get that grumbling, gagagismus. If somebody... Uh, under the breath says gagagismus, they're grumbling, right? And, and even back then, uh, Peter, Peter had to say, no, offer hospitality without grumbling. Now, this still applies to us today. It applies to us as a congregation. We, as a congregation, we don't want to become a museum for saints. If our idea is we're gathered here because we are better than other people and you know, we're the saints, no. A congregation is never meant to be a museum for saints. We are to be a hospital for the sick. A hospital for the sick. Jesus said that only the sick know that they need a doctor. And my friends, in our sin nature, every one of us in this room, we're broken. We're sick. We're lost. We're eternally dead without Jesus. 
A congregation, a gathering of Christians is to be a hospital, a place where recovering love is displayed for each other. That is, again, the function that, that as we live as if there's no tomorrow, love deeply. Love that covers sin and, and love that recovers. Thirdly, we are to serve faithfully, verses 10 and 11. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Um, amen. Serve faithfully. The, God has gifted all of you. I have gifts. My given gift set is kind of a, I have a wide spectrum of gifts, kind of a jack of all trades. Uh, some people have very specific gifts, and more likely you're using your gifts uh, in your profession, what, what you do for a living. That's, you're probably using the gifts, what comes natural to you. God says, don't just serve yourself. God has gifted you to serve others. And the context is, is to serve your Christian brothers and sisters, to serve God's ministry. And an amazing thing happens. As we faithfully serve, and don't put it off for tomorrow, but serve today, as we, as we do so, God is, is taking his grace and he is uh, he's giving it to us. It's a great, great grace that I have a gift, but God wants me to use my gift to benefit you. Um, and it's the, it's the word... <laughs> Um, uh, multicolored, remember that? There, there are multicolored trials in life, chapter one of First Peter. It's the exact same word. That grace in its various forms. So I don't have the color chart here, but picture a thousand different colors. We have different types of gifts, different shades. Some are, are, are very bright and you know this, this uh, particular gift and personality. Others, it's more subtle. But collectively, God has given us the gifts we need as a congregation to serve each other, and as we do so, God is blessing us, and, and Jesus is, is given the glory and praise for it. It says, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So living as if there's no tomorrow, pray frequently, love deeply, serve faithfully. Uh, finally, suffer graciously. Now, we, we get into chapter 12, it's like a different section, but it is tied in here. It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Who likes suffering, right? I don't necessarily say, hey, I want to suffer today, but suffering is a part of this life. Um, Jesus suffered. He suffered to the point of death to, to earn our salvation uh, first the suffering, then the glory. Now, now, this life, again, suffering is a part of it. But I said at the beginning, if you knew that a week from today, you'd be by God's side immensely enjoying the presence of God, that your earthly life would come to an end. And if God had revealed to you, but before you get there, there's going to be some suffering, you would change your mindset, right? Suffering is only temporary. And, and likewise, a part of living as if there's no tomorrow, it's, it's graciously suffering. And maybe you don't like to hear that, but suffer graciously. Uh, Peter goes as far as saying, rejoice. 
insomuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, when Christ returns, he'll change that suffering into tremendous joy in the presence of God. Now, Peter also talks about um, what we should suffer for and what we shouldn't suffer for. He says this, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Interesting that he puts the meddling in unnecessary interfering with other people's business as not a good thing. Don't suffer for those things, but if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a part of this life. It's only temporary. Uh, God has much better things for us in store. My friends, live. Live your lives. You are loved by God, baptized into Jesus' death, into his resurrection. We have every reason to be optimistic every day for the, the, the blessings we have in Christ Jesus, the promises, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Live today. Don't put it off for tomorrow. Live today as if there, are, there is no tomorrow. Pray frequently. Don't be distracted. Put those things aside. Learn from Peter. Love deeply, strenuously, like that horse running. Serve faithfully with the opportunities God has given you. Suffer graciously. Now, Peter doesn't say these things to say, hey, you must do these perfectly in order to get to heaven again, no. Um, and we are talking about sanctification here. But in response to what, what God has done for us, God is saying, now focus on these things. Live as if there's no tomorrow. Focus on these things. Above all, love deeply. To Jesus be the glory and praise. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Visit us online at living-faith.church or better yet in person. We worship every Sunday morning at the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. We are very close to the Courtyard Marriott off of Highway 287. Have a great day.